Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah. And we are looking at Isaiah chapter 63, verses 7 through 9. I invite you to turn now there with me in your own text. Hear now the word of the Lord. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because all that the Lord has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Kind and compassionate Savior of all mercy and goodness, in this time Let us recount the gracious deeds and praiseworthy acts that you have shown us in your mercy and steadfast love. May our attention be on you this morning, that our minds and hearts might be quieted in all other concerns that may plague us and that we might just simply sit and be with you. Remind us in this time of the depth of your grace and the breadth of your love. And in this time, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts on your words be good and pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our strength and redeemer. Amen. So this is like, this is a weird season in in life, right? So we've just had basically an entire month building up to this single day, December 25th, Christmas Day, in which we join in all festivities and celebrations, and there's uh, presents and, and family and friends, and we just join together and have this great celebration all centered around the birth of Christ. And then you get to the other side of Christmas, and it's a little weird, right? We've come down from this... Oh, stepped off the back of that. We come down from this, from this uh, holiday high, almost, the, that... You know, we've been building up to for all this time, and we're just kind of put back into real life. And sure, we still have New Year's to come, and that's, you know, an important holiday, but, you know, people don't get as excited about New Year's because people have been making their resolutions and they know they've got to change their lifestyle a little bit in the New Year. But this type of season, after Christmas Day and on past New Year's, we just kind of get pushed back into the real world, into normal life, and it just kind of keeps on going until we build up to it again the following year. And it's, I don't know, to me at least, it's kind of weird. It's just an, an odd season. Kids go back to school, people go back to work, Christmas songs and movies just stop playing, and we're back to the everyday. So, I think that this season is kind of the perfect reminder that Christian life is not perfect. Christian life is not perfect. 
And I think that's important for us to remember. It's at least important for me to remember, and we'll talk about that why, but we need to recognize that Christian life is still life, and life happens in glorious and good ways and in disappointing and bad ways. It just is. Jesus even told us, in this world, you will have trouble. We're kind of, you know, told life is still going to happen. In fact, there have been many times in my own life where things have gone less than perfectly despite my prayers and despite my feelings of Christian entitlement. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever felt that way that, like, I'm a Christian. I feel like things should go my way more often. Right. um, Maybe that's just me. (laughs) Maybe it's just because I feel that sense of entitlement that because I'm a Christian, things should work out for me, right? Because there there, have been many times where I feel like I prayed about it enough and that because I'm a Christian and because I know that all things work for the good of those who love the Lord, right? That's what the Bible says. Then it should work. Everything should work out all right. But that's not always the case. I've come upon many points in my life in which quite the opposite happens. I remember a uh, a time whenever I was in college, a friend of mine had come, her car had had, uh, been broken, it was really just her radio, it was nothing important, but I said, sure, I'd fix it, I've fixed car radios before, I know how that works, and I spent all this time trying to fix the radio, just working on this radio for hours, in fact. And then it started pouring down rain, and then it was cold, and I was just miserable trying to work on this radio, and I started crying out to God, just let me fix it. I'm trying to help somebody. I'm trying to do somebody a favor. Why can't this just work for good? Uh, Later, it turns out, in fact, it was a wiring problem at a different point in the car that I had no idea about, and so, you know, leave that to professionals. Another point in my life, it was actually close to the holiday seasons. I was in high school. My sister and I were at Walmart, don't know what we were buying, but I remember we were in the checkout line behind an older gentleman who was buying groceries, and he had come up short just a few cents, not even a full dollar of being able to uh, buy his groceries as he was counting out coin after coin, and he was trying to decide what grocery item he could leave here and not get this time around, to which I stepped up and said, hey, I'd be, I'd be glad to pay for that for you, not even a dollar. And he turned around and started yelling at me. And I was very confused because I thought I was helping out. I thought I was doing something nice, something good. Yelling, I can't remember what he said, something along the lines of, I don't need your help, go mind your own business sort of stuff. And I was very confused. And I've been very hesitant to be like, oh, let me help out more. And I remember another time, we were uh, on a mission trip to Nairobi, Kenya. Nairobi, Kenya, just outside the city, has the second largest slum in the world. And we were doing some medical work there, and uh, my job quickly became to, uh, the, the kids would line up right in front of me, and all they wanted was for me to just pick them up, toss them in the air, set them back down, and they run to the back of the line, another one come up, and did this for hours on end, days on end. And we were just having a good time, and we were, you know, doing good work in this area, and the people were very grateful for it and very hospitable to us. And about halfway through the trip, we ran out of funnels or something happened with funnels, and I had to, we had to make some using uh, 
bottles, and so I was cutting them with my pocket knife and ended up slicing my finger wide open, blood everywhere, it was gross. And then not long after that, I got horribly sick to the point that most people should probably go to the hospital, but I didn't go to the hospital. And I'm just sick and in pain and still bleeding and miserable on this mission trip, and I'm praying to God, like, why is this happening? I'm doing your work. Why am I suffering for this? This doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. I thought I was on your side. And yet, despite my feelings of Christian entitlement, this notion that because I'm doing something for God, because I'm supposedly on God's side and God is on my side, then everything should just work out perfectly. What I found out in my short time here on earth is that things don't always work out that way, even for Christians, that life still just happens. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's disappointing. And our text today from the prophet Isaiah is one of those points. It doesn't sound like it, but you have to look around what's happening. So there are just three verses here, which I don't know why these three verses were picked out. Um, I pulled this from what's called the lectionary. It's a, a teaching tool used by Episcop Episcopalians and Methodists and other denominations as well. But they picked out just these three verses. When surrounding these three verses on either side is a lot of despair and darkness. So a little context here. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking to the Israelite people. And the Israelite people have just gone through like one of the most chaotic times in their life. They had been, just a few decades before this was written, had been exiled from their home. The Babylonian Empire came in, destroyed everything, took many of them as slaves, and the others were scattered about the world. And their temple was destroyed, and everything was in ruins. And then a few decades later, the Persian Empire rises up and overthrows the Babylonian Empire, and King Cyrus is in power, and King Cyrus says to all of those in captivity, all of those uh, Jews who were exiled, just says, like, go home. I don't really need you. You can, you can return back to your land if you would like. And so they do, because that's what they've been praying for for decades. That's what the prophets have been telling them was going to happen, that they would be restored as a people. And so they return home, and when they get there, they find everything in desolation. The temple has been destroyed. People are, uh, are arguing with one another. There's all kinds of discord, and they just can't figure anything out. They were supposed to be God's chosen people, and yet here they were, left with just ruins in front of them. It was supposed to be a glorious moment, and yet they were faced with disappointment. Enter these three short verses, which stick out in the middle of these darker verses of bad things happening sort of verses, and give a message of comfort to the people, giving this message of hope, this message that says, I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. 
and he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. This message of comfort in a moment when life isn't really going as they had hoped or as they planned. Because they were ready for renewal and rejuvenization, and it just wasn't coming to them. And they thought they were going to be on God's side. They thought as God's chosen people, everything would be all right, but it wasn't. And they still had a lot left to do. And these few verses of hope are thrown in there. And so they're kind of faced with the question, what do we do when life doesn't go as we hope or as we plan? And that's kind of the question that I wanted us to think about today. At first, I wanted us to think about, you know, how are we going to answer that question? I wanted to be able to answer that question for you and say, hey, you know what? Here's a, here's a 12-step process as to, 12 steps is too many. Here's a four-step process as to how to answer this question. When life doesn't go the way you plan it, what do you do? And yesterday I was thinking about this and I was like, you know what? There are already dozens, if not hundreds, of self-help books and life coaches out there that are trying to answer the same question. And some of them, you know, do say they've found the answer. There are also counselors and therapists out there, which you're welcome to see at any time. Um, pastors also operate as pastoral uh, care providers. We can give counseling as well. And so I felt like this topic right here, as much as I would like to answer that question for us today, I feel like it doesn't really need answering because we can kind of choose how we're going to respond in these situations. We can kind of choose to sit in our own little pity party when things aren't going the way that we want them to and just complain and grumble. We can do like the uh, people of the Bible of old did and sit in, a, sit in a, a heap of ash and put on burlap and you know, tear our clothes, all this weird stuff, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth kind of stuff. We could just keep carrying on, just get to the next day. We could do the whole, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade kind of thing. And, you know, each of these things are something we could do. But I don't feel like that's good enough for us today to answer that question. Because the Israelites, they went through the same range of emotions. They, whenever they were faced with disappointment, whenever they were faced with all of this hardship in front of them, there were many of them who threw their pity party. There were many of them who just kept carrying on trying to get to the next day. There were many of them who did try to make the best of a rough situation. But even in all of that, three verses stick out. Just three verses stick out to say something a little more incredible than what do we do. It's what has already been done for us. That's what these three verses try to unpack right here for us in this moment in Isaiah. You see, while the Israelites were faced with the disappointments of, of life in front of them, they kept on going, but they did so with the promise the same promise that we are given today, that God will be our Savior, that God's very presence will save us, that in God's love and pity, God will redeem us, and that God will lift us up and carry us. A simple 
promise like that. And so in light of that, I recalled a poem that I've heard many times, and perhaps you might be familiar with this poem. Uh, The author is debated, uh, but the poem is called Footprints in the Sand. And if you've heard this poem before, I encourage you just to sit and listen to the words of it again today. Listen to it afresh. Footprints in the Sand goes as follows. One night I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noted two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, My precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. This poem attests to the great promise during disappointment, hurt, and heartache. A poem a message, a promise that says God will be our Savior, that God's very presence will save us, that in God's love and pity, God will redeem us, and that God will lift us up and carry us. And so my question for us today is a simple one. Are we willing to be carried by the presence of mercy? I really wanted to be able to just offer, you know, a few simple steps to be able to say this is what we should do whenever life doesn't go the way we want it to. But here's the truth of it. Life is going to keep going the way we don't always want it to. Life as a Christian is still life. And it's going to be hard and disappointing sometimes. We might have these great times that build up to festivities and celebrations and joy. And then we just got to be thrust right back into the real world. And it's going to happen. And so rather than thinking about what we should do, I want us to think about what's already been done for us, that the presence of mercy has given us the promise that we will be carried, lifted up and carried through even the harshest of times, that we will not be abandoned, that we have hope. And in this message of hope, I want us to think, are we willing to be carried by the presence of mercy? Because sometimes we like to do things on our own. Sometimes we like to say, I'm tough enough to handle this. Sometimes we like to say, I can manage this by myself. I don't want anyone's help. But you don't have to. We don't have to say, I can do this on my own. Because we have a loving, compassionate God who is already walking beside us, ready to carry us when we feel faint or weak. So this morning, 
That's really all I have for us. Just a simple bit of information that God's love is with you, that the very presence of mercy walks beside you. Maybe you've encountered that presence in a friend or family member. Maybe you've encountered that presence in the spiritual and miraculous. Maybe you haven't felt that presence before. Regardless of your feelings about it, my message today is just to let you know that the very presence of mercy goes with you and is ready to lift you up and carry you whenever, whether you need it or not. Sometimes we just need to allow ourselves to be carried by the presence of mercy. So as we go into a new year, 2020, many hopes, many dreams, many ambitions lie before us. Maybe our goal is just to get through 2020. Just know that every step of the way, the very presence of mercy goes with you. So let us be a people willing to walk alongside the same footprints and let us pray together.